0: Welcome to the Diligent Woman Podcast, where Christian women let go of their guilt and step out in confidence by bringing God into every part of the day, learning by examples in Scripture, applying simple principles, and trusting the Lord with it all. I am Angela Legg of Diligentwoman.com, and I welcome you to grow in grace and truth one step at a time. Let's get started. Hello. And welcome to another episode of the Diligent Woman podcast. I'm Angela, the Diligent Woman from thediligentwoman.com And I'm here today to talk a little bit more about how to use the Bible as a textbook for women. Uh, We've already looked at, back in episode 2, that the Bible can be seen as a textbook. It's not a cold, dry Textbook full of just facts that you memorize. It's a living, breathing textbook that is a reflection for our lives that we can implement every day. It's full of things that gives us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness, as Peter says. So let's spend a little time looking at how we can study the Bible from the viewpoint of a woman because the Bible is written for everyone it's not written just to men to then dispense to women it is not written you know just to a, a certain part of the the church who are held above it is written to everyone it is it is the means by which all people can come to faith so that they can come to the knowledge of god so they can be saved this is where we access our grace it's how we know about it it's where god tells us how his grace works and faith comes by hearing, and that is true for everyone. So let's dig in just a little bit and see what we can learn as women. Just as an example, um, over on the DiligentWoman.com, there we have a scripture writing plan that we share, and it's free. You can go check it out. Um, I'll put the link below the episode, and it is a Women of the Bible scripture writing plan. This plan goes through. 31 days, and looks at different women each day. And each one of them gives you something that you can look at. Now, you're looking at one woman a day. You're not doing a deep dive into her. I do have studies for that. The 31 days of women will take you a little deeper into studying these women. But this scripture writing plan just gives you a really neat snapshot of a group of women throughout scripture who all had to make decisions and get through their day, just like you do. They were women just like you, some of them in extreme circumstances, some of them just in the everyday mundane. And one of the examples I want to look at, on day one, for example, the plan includes writing from the book of Genesis in chapter 2, and it's verses 18 through 25. Is what you're gonna would be writing, and in Genesis chapter two, God has already created the whole world. He's created um, man. He has Adam. He's put him in the garden. He's given him some work to do. He needs to be naming all the animals. But in verse eighteen, God observes something. The Lord God said, "It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him." Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So in verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So this is, this is the first look that you get at Eve's creation. A woman being given to man. And she feels a purpose. And if you look at this context just from what God tells you about her. There's so much that we can learn. And then obviously if you keep going through Eve's story. It just builds on that. But just this context tells you how much she was designed to meet a need. Every woman was created because she filled a void that men couldn't fill on their own. All of these animals, all of this work to do, it didn't meet the needs of Adam. He needed a helper, but he needed one that was comparable to him. One that was similar to him. One that worked with him. And God created that by creating another being out of Adam. So they're made from the same thing there she's not made directly from the ground like everything else was she is made from something that was already created right she's already from a created being she is taken from adam as from his rib and formed from that so they're inseparable the two of them have been are created as from the same thing and you can't have one without the other but she is designed to fill a void adam was lacking something without her His life doesn't have everything that it's meant to have. And God said he did not create man to be alone. So first and foremost, we are created to be a companion. But we are meant to be a helper who is a good companion, one who helps him. This means he needs help. (laughs) It's not that he is here to do everything for us and we have no abilities and we are just to take the load off for him. It's that I am to help fill in and do the things that he can't do, that he can't do well, that I'm to, to do this set of things. So he's got time to do that set of things and we work together. So all things get done. It's a helper comparable. So just in that one day, we look at Eve and we get a good picture of who we are, who we're meant to be, what God created us for. And like I said, it's not a deep dive on her. You keep going and look at more chapters about Eve, and you'll learn even more. But it's a good place to start. Then if you jump over into Exodus chapter 1, this is another day of the scripture writing. We learn that the king of Egypt had made this pronouncement. He's scared because the people of Israel have grown so numerous. He's afraid they're going to rebel and they are going to attack Egypt. And so he decides to take care of this by getting rid of the male children. Um, and the king, it says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 15, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shifra, and the name of the other, Puah. He contacts these women specifically. These are the midwives for the Hebrew women. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But in verse 17 it says, But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. They refused to do what the king said. And then you skip down to verses 20 and 21, and it says, Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. God looked after these women. This is one of those moments where you have to obey God rather than men. And Pharaoh is just, what is going on? Okay? He doesn't doesn't understand, and so he sends out a whole edict to all the people. The midwives can't be trusted to take care of this problem. (laughs) They're not doing it, so he just tells everybody. If the son is born, you kill him. You need to cast him into the river. Okay, and every daughter you shall save alive. So with these women, we show women who stood up in faith and did their job and did it to the glory of God rather than obeying this evil order of the king. They're just doing their job. They are midwives. This is what they do. But they refused to to follow the king's order. And God blessed them for it. What a statement of faith in these women. They refused. And God provided for them. If you continue on um, in the story of Exodus, the very next thing is the faith of um, Moses' parents. And one thing that I have always found interesting Is that the edict from the Pharaoh in verse 22 of chapter 1 says, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Obviously, his intention was you're supposed to throw them in the river and let them die. But when we go into chapter 2, these parents save their son, and we see this mother go to the effort, she puts her son in the river. But she doesn't put him in the river to die. She puts him into a little ark that she's made. She makes it watertight and puts him there and sets his sister to watch over it until there is someone who can come and rescue him. She watches over her son. And she technically puts him into the river. But it doesn't have the end that the king looked for. And she refused to kill her son. She refused to do what the king said. And this is held up as a as a moment of faith. It is applied as faith that saved Moses so Moses could be Moses. Just an everyday thing. Woman given birth in a country where the king is working against her, her government is not working to her favor in this way. They have made a decree that she cannot abide by. So she continues to go about her day, but in this thing she will not obey the king, because she is more fearful of the Lord than she is of the king. So each one of these gives us someone that we can look to for encouragement, for that strength that we need whenever we need to stand fast. And they're just everyday women dealing with situations. And um, you can jump forward. First Samuel chapter 1, you have the story of Hannah. This is a woman who desperately wants a child and can't have one. She has it rubbed in her face every day that another woman can have children and she can't. She is living this nightmare of not being able to have a son. Her husband is content with her. He is happy. He wants her to be content with him. And yet what she wants to do is to be able to have a son. And so she takes it to God, and she has taken it to God before, and she continues to take it to God. And in chapter 1 of First Samuel, we see this lovely picture of Hannah, who is so fervent in her prayers that she's not praying in the normal way. Apparently, she's not praying normally where she's praying out loud where the priest can hear her because Eli assumes she's drunk because her mouth is moving but she's making no sound. She's so fervent that she is praying in her mind to the Lord and her mouth is moving but she's not saying it out loud. And she tells him that she's not drunk. She is just so impassioned about this plea that she's making. And after talking to her, Eli says, The Lord will grant you. Your request. A woman who has stayed the course has continued to trust God even over the years of every time she's asked, it hasn't been fulfilled yet, but she still trusts God to be the answer. And then she makes a promise to the Lord You give me this son, and I will teach him to be yours. I will teach him to be faithful to you. And in that effort, that means she's going to give him up so that he can serve with the priest and she keeps her word. She's not so attached to this son that she wanted so much that she couldn't allow him to go and serve the Lord the way that she had promised that he would. She shows us how much her need was. She shows us how much her trust was. What can you learn from Hannah? And even if you are not a woman who's been dealing with not being able to conceive, if infertility is not your problem, Hannah still has lessons for us. In our society sometimes we have a hard time cutting those apron strings. We insist that they they cannot leave us. So much so that we become where we just dominate our children's lives and we don't trust God with our children. We need to be trusting God in the way we teach them. We need to trust God. When we send them away into safe circumstances, we need to be respectful. We need to be mindful. We need to be prudent. But we need to make sure that the things that we're doing, we're doing them from a place of trusting the Lord. Are you trusting the Lord the way that Hannah did? So look at Hannah and take her as a textbook lesson for a day. And apply her to your situation. may not be exactly the same, but apply it. What if you're a single woman, so you're not married, it's not a situation where you're looking to have children, but you want to have children, you want to be married. How can you imitate Hannah and trust the Lord with your circumstances and ask Him for whatever needs to change? What is the right thing that you can ask Him? What in His will can you pray and ask for the way that Hannah did, with all of the fervor, with lots of prep, you know? Um, repetition, coming back to him, but trusting him with that. Trust him with your life, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have children, or whether you're a widow and you're in that later season. What if you're a widow who has children? You lost your husband in young. That happens too. Can you be like Hannah and trust God with your children and with your circumstances that he will do what is best? it teaches us that, um, and then you can continue through the plan. And there's lots. There's lots of other women. Like I said, it's 31 days. All of these different women to teach us something, and it becomes where this is where we see each one of these stories. It's not quote unquote just a statement of faith. Like that's a little thing, right? <laughs> they very much are statements of faith. But my friend, they are women who are giving you a statement of faith as women. So how can you, as a woman, bolster your faith from looking to these women? The men have so many things to teach us. Yes, we can bolster our faith also through Abraham and David and Moses and all these other people. But God gave you the women too. And if ever there was a circumstance to try to find someone like you so that you can figure out how to do this thing that God has asked you to do, walk this Christian walk every day. What does that look like? What does being a submissive wife look like? I don't know. Let's look at the wives in the in the Bible and see how they behaved. Which ones were submissive? Which ones weren't? What did that look like? Did submission mean they never had a question? Did submission mean they never made a decision? Nope. Submission meant that they were willing to not get in their husband's way. They let him have his authority. They let him have his place. They let him do what he needed to do. And she didn't get in his way. And she took care of what was hers to take care of. That's how submission works. But I know that because I can look at these women and see that played out. Um, if you go to John chapter 11, we have more women. We have a couple of instances here. We have, um, this is Martha in John eleven twenty through 27. You have um, Martha talking to Jesus. This is all after Lazarus dies. Okay, this is not the instance where Jesus comes to their house and he's eating and dealing with Mary and Martha there. That's one picture that we have. But this instance after Lazarus dies gives us a fabulous picture of Jesus dealing directly with these two women. Two different personalities, two different conversations, but both of them showing very similar convictions with Christ. He's personal in his conversation with them. But the focus is on spiritual knowledge. They've had a very real loss. They have lost their brother whom they love, who Jesus loves. Right? And in um, John chapter 11, first he talks to Martha. Martha goes and she goes and meets Jesus. Mary stays at home because she is grieving. Martha goes out to Jesus because she hears he's coming. And she says, with conviction, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She doesn't say raising from the dead now. She says you could have kept him from dying. You could have saved him. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She's saying, I have faith that all you have to do is ask God and God can do whatever. The implication here is, is it might, could that be that my brother be raised as well? Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's still not there to Lazarus coming back today. She is giving the authority to Jesus, knowing you have the power to do whatever you believe you see is right, and she's not asking him to raise her brother from the dead. But she also shows a firm conviction, a knowledge that she has through a study of God's word to that point she believes in the resurrection and the life she believes in that she knows that lazarus will be rose will rise again in those la- in the last day and jesus tells her i am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me though he may die he shall live death is not permanent it's not life in this earth again it's life with him in eternity but it's not permanent for us And he says, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha says, yes. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. She makes a confession. This is the confession. And we see this from Martha. She has a great deal of knowledge. She is not afraid to have this conversation with her Lord. She acknowledges that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and yet she's having this very personal conversation with him about what she knows about who he is. Isn't that beautiful? Do you talk in your prayers that well with God? Are you that personal? Are you that certain of who he is and your relationship with him that when you communicate to him, that you talk to him like he knows you and you know him, not that you know him in all the things, because there are things that we don't know. But there are things he's told us to know, to understand. And we're to be confident about that knowledge. And Martha has that knowledge. And as we go on and look in the next section, when Mary comes to talk to him, she's still grieving. Okay? She said this, she went away, and she tells Mary, the teacher has come and is calling for you. She has to go tell Mary to go to Jesus. And as soon as she heard that, she goes. She didn't jump up. When word was out that he was coming, but when he said he wanted her to come, she came. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. So Mary goes that far to where Jesus is, and she goes to talk to him. And the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her. They think she's um, going to the tomb to grieve there. Right? It says, Then when Mary came before where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She has the same conviction that her sister has. She's expressing her grief in a different way. But she is as firmly convinced about Jesus' capability to keep Lazarus from dying. Therefore, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Mary comes to him and acknowledges that he has the power. He could have kept Lazarus from dying, but they don't bother to ask him about resurrection now because they know about resurrection later. And Jesus is moved with compassion, and the rest of the story is that he raises Lazarus from the dead. He does this to prove who he is, But it is also partly moved by the compassion he has for these people who are hurting. People he loves. But these two women, both of them, their distinct personalities, their way of dealing with things, they show their knowledge about who Jesus is. No matter what happens in your life, do you still fall down on your knees before Jesus and know that whatever he does is right? And that he had the ability to deal with it and it could have been different. But it's not and it's still okay. You can grieve and be okay with the, the outcome. These women teach us that. Let them be a textbook for you. It's why God gave you these examples. So this this is just one way of studying these women. But if you pick up your Bible and just go through Go through your Bible, read each story. I encourage you to write out each story because, you know, Scripture writing connects all those dots. It connects your eyes and the muscles in your hands to your brain, and you will remember it more. You will take it in. Write out these stories about these women and take a minute to think what all God tells you in the words that He chooses to use about these women. Does He give you Something more than just so-and-so wanted a baby and God gave her one. Is that all that Hannah shows you? Is that the only lesson from Sarah? Is that the only lesson from Elizabeth who had stopped asking for a son? She's old. No expectation of having a child anymore. And yet she got one. Because she was a faithful woman. She was chosen to be the mother of John. What do we learn about these women in the words that God chose to give to us? Take those lessons and apply them to your life where you can. How can I live out loud the way that Mary did? How can I live out loud the way that Anna did? How can I live my faith the way that Priscilla did? What lessons do I need to learn from the bad things that happened with Jezebel and Sapphira? What can I learn? God's given you a textbook that is written for you, for where you are, the circumstances that you are living through as a woman. You are not neglected. He covers your topics very well. <laughs> but you need to dive in and study them. So I would encourage you to do that. Dive in. If you want to take go in, like I said, there's going to be a link below this episode that is for the Women of the Bible Scripture Writing Plan. Click, go to that link, and sign up. Join my email list. Get on the list, but get this free plan and start this study. And if you want to dig deeper into that, check in the 31 Days of Women uh, studies. There's two of them. Go, go to the diligentwomanshop.com. There's two studies, and it covers over 90 women. In scripture. And that's not even all of them. It's just all that I covered in the lessons. <laughs> um, it's all of these women. There are lessons on lessons to learn for married women. Lessons to learn from single women. There's a large group of single women. A lot of our married women start out as single women. And we learn stuff about them and both sides of that. Look at them this way. You can open your Bible and understand. You can find what you need to be a woman who will bring glory to the Lord just by opening your scriptures and letting God's word talk to you. Take those words, listen to them, apply them to your life. The daily walk. Diligence one step at a time. Pick one woman and start with her. I'm going to learn how to be more like Sarah, or I'm going to learn how to avoid the troubles that Sarah got into. And take that, study her, and live Sarah for a couple of days. Then choose another one. These are here for you. God has not left you without encouragement specific to your circumstances. The lessons of faith apply to everyone. These, these women, that powerful faith that they show, is a lesson for men as well. But it's more than just that lesson, because God has given us everything that we need that pertains to life and to godliness. The life that I can have in Him, and living godly every day through my choices, He's given me what I need to do both. Trust him. Look at these women. Take your hearts to him the way they did. Pray about these women. Use their stories to form your prayers. Lord, help me to be a woman like fill in the blank. Help me to trust you the way that Hannah trusted you. Help me to be certain about my confidence of what you have done for me, the gift that you gave me the way that Mary and Martha were confident. Help me, Lord, to see you as the friend who has always been there for me and the Lord who has always been my salvation. Help me to trust in those things. Pray those prayers. Let these women guide your prayers. The Bible is full of them. God took the time to give them to you. So let it be the textbook for your life. So we'll leave that there today. and. I hope to see you the next time when we look at more ways that we can use the Bible as a textbook. Enjoy! Thanks for joining me today on the Diligent Woman Podcast. Please subscribe to be notified of new episodes and share those with your friends. Until next time, enjoy!